0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Primrose Light. You're here with me, Roshni. So, after taking a few months break, I am back. So, a very warm welcome to you all for season three. Um, so, I'm really looking forward to bringing you all great content to enjoy and for you to share with your networks as we continue to grow and cultivate a conscious community. So, I wanted to come back with a bit of a bang, and today we're discussing quite a sad and sensitive, but very much a real life issue where Difficult choices and life and death took a whole new meaning. This topic impacts people right across the globe, regardless of colour or creed. Today, we are going to discuss trying for a baby and the social pressures to do so, whether married or attaining a certain age. Indeed, the UN figures suggest that around 385,000 babies are born daily. But what happens when women give birth to premature babies and the array of birthing experiences and complications that are not simply discussed enough becomes a real nightmare. Put simply, what happens when things go wrong? We also discussed the pressure of getting pregnant and the other complications that often go unsaid behind the scenes such as PCOS, infertility, and IVF. What happens to women's careers and perhaps the general feeling of just not quite being ready to have kids. We're also going to discuss the important role of a father in raising children and newborns in a pandemic, plus the very real impact of mental health. I know this will strike a chord with a fair few of my friends personally who've had babies over the pandemic, but also those who have really struggled, and my heart goes out to all of them. But of course, this goes to the very core of issues that impact the very fabric of our society and the global world that we all form part of. Undoubtedly, the pressure of getting pregnant, I'm curious why we say falling pregnant, but there we go, is exacerbated through culture, especially ones that can be quite judgmental and harsh. So to help me discuss this raw and real subject is my friend Gopika, who had a baby over the pandemic, little Kush. But she's had quite a difficult, she had a difficult pregnancy and a difficult unexpected labour to give birth to Kush at just 26 weeks old. Strike Some striking UK statistics for the audience. There are approximately 60,000 preterm births a year, so that means one in 13 born before the 37 week period. Just to give an introduce Gopika onto the uh, the podcast, Gopika met her husband six years ago and has been married for three years. Like many couples, the subject of babies became important. However, for neither party did they ever expect their story unfolding quite this way. So that's enough talking for me. Gopika, it's over to you. Welcome to Primrose Light. Thank you for coming on and being so willing and keen to share your story and telling us all about what happened to you. So it's over to you.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Roshni. And really, really happy to be doing this after so long and finally able to share my experience. Um, So just a bit of background. um, I gave birth prematurely at 26 plus three weeks, so that's 26 weeks uh, plus three days uh, gestation, Um, and just a bit of sort of overview of my birthing experience, Um, I went into labour at around that time um, and I had no idea what was happening. Um, I just started heavily bleeding and next thing I knew I was in hospital and was told that I was two centimetres dilated. Um, So it was all very confusing, very shocking. I was very, very confused. Um, All of the emotions in one, um, panicking, uh, wondering what's going to happen. At that point in time when I started bleeding, I honestly thought that okay this is it this is the end of my pregnancy I've lost him well not that I knew at the time but I lost Lil Kush but he's still here (laughs) and and uh, very very well um but so around that time it was just I can't even begin to think about how I felt um it's all a bit bit of a blur um and I I just, I had no idea what was gonna happen. Um, really, really scared. Um, it was actually the second time that I bled in my pregnancy. Um, so the first time was around 14 weeks. Um, I had almost like a period around 14 weeks. Uh, I went to triage at a local hospital in Barnett, um, got to Barnett, um, was told that everything's fine. Um, the placenta wasn't quite visible yet. I was told to wait to my uh, a 20-week scan to see whether the placenta was in the right place. Um, and I was sent home and everything was fine. And I was just put on bed rest for a week at home. Um, and luckily, the bleeding went away. Everything was fine. 12 weeks later, around this time of gestation, uh, when I spontaneously went into labor, uh and obviously saw the bleeding again. The panic just came back. Um, and I'm just a bit lost for words at the moment because it was such a scary experience. Um, just to think back about it. Um, but yeah, like I said, it was just a bit of a blur. Once I did get to hospital, um, I was admitted it was sort of I think it was about 11 p.m. night before so this was 26th of september 2020 um and it was just frightening uh to to think about it really um and to look back and think about how i felt what was going through um really really frightening time um i started getting back pain and that's what triggered me to go to the hospital a day before. Uh, again, I was sent home and was told that everything was fine. Um, it wasn't until that night that I started heavily bleeding. Um, and then got to Barnet Hospital. And can't really remember much. <laughs> um, there was a few moments where I do remember one specific, very key moment where... My husband Raj uh, was told that he might lose one of us, and was told to make the decision uh, as to who he would choose to save if that situation did arise. Um, and we just we just panicked. And we, were, we were incredibly emotional. Uh, Raj told me, "Call, call home. Let everybody know that you love them." And it was just. Absolutely frightening. Uh, I was losing more and more blood. Um, I think I was three centimeters dilated by then. Um, baby's heartbeat was fine throughout, luckily. Um, but just incredibly emotional, incredibly scary. I had no idea what was going on. Um, they had administered magnesium drips and steroids to help the baby's lungs. Um, and to sort of prevent the labour from happening, Um, although it didn't help. (laughs) The next day, I was then four centimetres dilated. And at that point, it was quite severe. Um, There were around 10 doctors that came into the room and the head consultant said, okay, we now need to find a place uh, for you to be transferred as Barnet Hospital only take babies born prematurely around from after 27 weeks gestation so I was 26 plus three so not that far off Um, but I still needed to be transferred to a level three hospital at that point the consultant was frantically looking for a place for us to be transferred to and looking for all the level three hospitals that would have obviously a bed for me but also a free incubator And there were some hospitals where, I think it was Luton, for example, where they had a bed, but they didn't have an incubator. So I think it it took a couple of hours to finally confirm, okay, Homerton Hospital, which was obviously quite far out for us, an hour and a half drive away, was available. But Homerton were an absolutely amazing team. Amazing is not the word. Um, We were blue lighted there must have been about 7 p.m. on the 27th of September. We blue-lighted there, got there, and within an hour they were preparing me for the emergency C-section. Got into the theatre, absolutely panicking, (laughs) not knowing what was going to happen. And then I think about 25 minutes later, Krish came out, and he was born in the sack which they had not seen for a very, very, very long time. And I just heard, obviously, I couldn't see anything, because there was a little curtain there, and, and all of the doctors said, oh, my God, and they were all clapping. I thought, what? what's going on? What's going on while they clapping? And they just, oh, my God, he's, we've never seen this before. It's been a really long time that we've seen the baby born in the sack. This is incredible. It's just absolutely amazing. Um, Having said that, he had to be resus- resuscitated three times because he and was born in the cell. Until... Or... Sorry
0: to interrupt. He, he because...
1: was on unre- He was no, no, it's fine. He was unresponsive the first couple of times. Um, third time lucky, and we heard a little cry, and we all clapped. <laughs> um, I was still under the morphine and God knows what other drugs were Mm. in me at that time. But I just burst into tears and I looked at him for maybe a split second and then they took him away and obviously put him in an incubator and uh, set up all the wires and his tiny little thing, he was only 920 grams. Um, So just the thought of all of these wires going into him um, but they're an incredible team uh highly experienced they take on babies from twenty four weeks gestation so they 've seen they 've seen much worse. this was probably nothing for them and just ordinary um premature baby um but for us, it was really, really frightening. We had no idea what would happen i didn't even know where he had gone i was uh, sent off to the postnatal ward surrounded by other mums who had healthy full-term babies and I was just looking around and I thought oh I don't even know where I am but these mums are holding these eight nine maybe 10 (laughs) pushing 10 pounders (laughs) and I just thought "Mm, why am I not holding my baby because I just I couldn't think straight and I felt so lost and hurt and i just remember bursting into tears and some moms were so lovely really 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 lovely moms i was surrounded by they were so caring He said oh, where's your baby which is obviously a natural question because i was literally the only person not holding my baby and i said well i just burst into tears oh, he's in the You. it's just uh, i just didn't i didn't have any words for them um and they burst into tears and i guess it's all the oh, hormones as well that change but I just had no idea what was going to happen I had no words for them I I didn't know how to even explain what had happened Mm. um and then I probably rested for a bit um must have been about six hours later when a consultant neonatal consultant came to the ward to say could you please express some milk to me and I thought hmm I don't I wouldn't even begin to know how to do this um and but I also was determined to get that milk to him and to express something even if it was 0.5 mil which was what he was on 0.5 mil <laughs> it was just incredible I just can't believe that that's literally all he's having it's still baffling to think about it now that he was only having 0.5 ml of milk um but I managed to get it I was really determined I thought no, if I hook a crook I'm gonna get this milk to him even if it is a couple of drops of colostrum it's fine and I could barely walk I could barely stand um could barely pull myself together I had this gown on I just remember I just waddling down the corridor to get this tiny little bit of milk to him but I knew that it was they say it's liquid gold and I knew that that was really really precious to him um and obviously when you're a mum all instincts just kick in and that's it really just do everything you can for your child um I was in so much pain but it didn't bother me. I just, I was just, my mind was set on getting that milk to him. And this was not even, this was probably seven hours after I was transferred to the ward, which was crazy. And I guess uh, the, the next couple of nights were really, really, really difficult. Um, I could just hear babies crying around me. I couldn't sleep. I was so worried, um, confused, confused. Uh, Guilty, all sorts of emotions, and I just remember saying to to the doctor that I just want to be discharged. I want to go home. I want my own bed. I want a shower. Just literally, just discharge me. And they said, "Okay, well, as long as you're fulfilling all of the requirements from the checklist of being discharged," I said, "Yep, that's all fine. I'm ready to leave. (laughs) I can't take this. I don't. I I can't physically be surrounded by." It wasn't the case of not being happy for those mums because, of course, I was really happy for them um, that they've got amazing, healthy babies to hold and feed. It was just the fact that I was there by myself, obviously due to COVID and and whatnot. um, Nobody was allowed in the war, so that made it even more difficult. I just wanted to go home to my family and just be surrounded by their love their presence, and comfort of my own home. Of course. Um, So that was quite difficult. And then I guess after that, it was around five weeks at Homerton. So it was 1.5 hours each way, so three hours worth of driving every day for five weeks. Um, So that was quite difficult. Um, And then not knowing what would happen was quite difficult uh, the confusion around neonatal units and how they operate and getting to grips with wires and oxygen and different levels of support um charitable organizations um pumping expressing time surrounding that um general well-being, mental health, everything in one. (laughs) And literally just, I guess, um, the common feeling uh, that Raj and I had was just a feeling of helplessness. Literally just sitting and watching Kush grow in a box, not knowing what would happen, not being able to do anything for him. Um, But I guess the positive side of that was one, I could give him my milk, and um, when other mums were unfortunately not able to do so and were struggling to even supply their babies with milk and two um this is this is the uh, uh, this is common in in neonatal units it's the kangaroo care where there's a lot of benefit there's lots of research that's done around this where there's a lot of benefit. Of holding the baby on your chest, whether it's for a few minutes or just getting that that comfort and that smell of their parents, it really helps them to grow. It helps their breathing. There's uh, there's a lot of reasons as to why that's so beneficial. Um, and it was the most amazing experience. I think we we first got the experience of that two weeks after he was born so around early October. And that was difficult in itself to actually hold our baby two weeks after he was born, Mm. whereas most mums out there get that opportunity straight away. Of course. That was very, very difficult. um, Having said that, and I always like to look at the positive side of it, at least we had the opportunity to do so. And it was... Absolutely incredible. Sometimes we look back at the pictures, and I i look at that picture where we first did that kangaroo care, and just placing him. I mean, he was probably a kilo by then. <laughs> but the feeling of holding my baby and just having having him on my chest, even if it was just for a few minutes, even if it was with all of the wires connected it just felt so surreal um and and there was always that level of ah uh, we don't really have any control this is our own child but he's been cared for by all of these amazing nurses but we have no control over what's going to happen or how long we can hold him for at that at that specific time it was quite limited he was really small understandably but to let go of him and put him back in the incubator and say bye to him and not know what's going to happen overnight was just the scariest experience ever. Um, and there were a few instances where we were called late at night to say, okay, Krishna needs a blood transfusion. Um, I think it happened four times. So he had four blood transfusions. Um and that was really scary. We would get home, and thought, okay, yeah, everything was fine. It's just a case of him growing, and the next thing we would get a call out of the blue. It's it's extremely common thing to happen uh, to for them to have a number of blood transfusions before they get discharged. But at the time, we weren't aware of how common that was, so we were just really, really, really scared, and we couldn't sleep. I think the first one, we, we uh, the first one, we got a call it eleven at night and it was the scariest thing. I just I just thought, oh my god, how long is it gonna take? How is he gonna be? Um obviously this will impact him positively, but I couldn't sleep just thinking about it. Um obviously as the time went on, things got easier. Um we knew what all the wires were for We knew um, what to look out for. Um, We were able to advise other parents who had just come onto the unit and things definitely got easier. We were quite positive about it after that. Um, And then the doctors were very reassuring as well. They're absolutely amazing. So we spent the first five weeks on homerton, and then we got transferred back to our local neonatal unit at Barnet Starlock, and the nurses, every single member of staff there were absolutely incredible. I just can't thank them enough. They were absolutely amazing, so warm, so friendly, so caring and I mean the NHS is just amazing. It is just the the staff are just absolutely incredible at what they do. Um twelve hour shifts not being able to eat sometimes and you see it firsthand and you just think uh, you know what the nhs are just amazing at what they do amazing is not the word um especially when we saw what the neonatal staff do and what they did for Kush. we could never repay them as yeah just just absolutely that they kept us going they really did keep us going we had a laugh with them we'd sit there late at night sometimes just Thinking about what we're going to do uh, in the future or things that we're going to buy, and things were really looking up. And we did get to the end of the three months quite quickly. Um, it was just a case of Kush growing, uh, feeding, okay. Um, and, and that was it, really. And, and luckily, we were discharged two weeks before his initial due date, which was. 31st of December 2020, New Year's Eve. Um, So I remember discussing with people um, uh, my due date's New Year's Eve, i going to have a big party, (laughs) baby's going to come into the world. Um, And um, generally, I was really positive about my whole pregnancy, really, really positive. It was an absolutely amazing feeling. I'm sure all women can relate. Um, Just amazing feeling being able to carry a child inside you and nurture them and and help them grow and and just feel them kicking it was just amazing um and Kush was definitely a kicker (laughs) um so so yeah things things definitely um were okay in the end and I guess being positive about it really helped um one of the things that I did do which would probably help listeners out there if they're going through a similar thing or just in general is keeping a journal. I'm sure most people do it. Um, It's a really good thing to do. Um, For Kush in particular, I had a journal um, specific to my experience with him and I would write a note at the end of each day. So it'd be the last thing I do before I go to sleep. I'll pull out the journal and I'll write down all of the positives that happened on the unit that day. I'll say, I don't know, dear Kush, um, it's been a really lovely day. You put on a couple of pounds or whatever it was at the time. I don't know. It's probably inaccurate, but just an example. <laughs> I would just um, write all of the positives. I wouldn't think about any of the sort of downfalls that may have happened that day or that week. It was literally just about that day um you know they they've increased the milk that they're giving to you or or um weight or or any time frame that they're saying just literally all of the positives that they've mentioned on that particular day and even if there wasn't a positive I would find a positive Great. that was a key thing for me um and that kept me going i must say that journaling in that way um really 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 helped me get through the entire experience just always taking a positive from it and we can all apply that in any scenario anyway to take a positive from any experience and just move forward um uh I, i'm a big believer in that and it's taken a lot of work <laughs> it's, it's been quite an intense few years um and it's taken a lot of work to to realize that but that's that's literally just take like a positive um even from a negative experience, and just move on.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: And that's that's what got me through. Um, And luckily, he came home on 16th of December, 2020. Um, And unfortunately, we got COVID a few weeks later, but he didn't, nor did my mother-in-law. So she looked after him um, for 10 days, uh, which was obviously very difficult. Um, But equally, we were blessed that the two of them at least didn't get it, um, so I always feel like there's someone looking, o- looking over us. Probably my dad. <laughs> yes. Keeping a watchful eye, always um, being a guardian angel to me as he as he always was, uh, very supportive um, and loving. Um, but but yeah, that that was my experience in a nutshell with the whole premature birth um, and NICU experience. Um, But I guess that kind of leads me on to, these are the kind of things that get unsaid, that get kind of, um, they don't really get spoken about, uh, these kind of complications or or various issues. I guess people see, okay, so-and-so is pregnant, nine months later, lovely full-term baby, no complications. But even in those instances, and we hear about it quite often, where okay, fine, yes, baby's here, full term. But even in those instances, there could have been a number of complications. That couple could have been through multiple rounds of IVF. They might have had miscarriages. They, they might have had other complications. And these are the things that I really want to raise awareness about. So not only my experience with premature birth, but shed light on the complications surrounding it as well. Um, And I guess it's a very sensitive topic, um, very taboo topic that people don't want to discuss any complications that they have. They don't want to be viewed in any negative manner. But equally, it's important to talk about and discuss. Because at the end of the day, we're all human. Um, woman to woman we all go through various things and monthly cycles ups and downs we all go through the same things um so I just want to get the word out there not only about premature birth uh, and that NICU experience which was extremely traumatizing at the time but it's completely normal to have the complications these things do happen they do need to get discussed. the statistics are there, uh, like you mentioned, around sixty thousand uh, babies born prematurely in the u k um, and globally there's around fifteen million so it's actually quite a big number, and not a lot of people know about it equally with the complications um you know, there's there's various things: there's polycystic ovaries, there's there's IVF, there's um, weight issues, maybe, or or miscarriages that happen. And these are the kind of things that we need to talk about openly and discuss.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's why I think it was such a great um, opportunity for you and I to both have quite a candid conversation. And you know, firstly, a big thank you for sharing. Um, quite a detailed account as to sort of what had happened back in 2020 and the journey to kind of get to where you've been which has been nothing short of um, quite turbulent I think it's probably safe to say Um, but I think you've handled it with really good grace and you've obviously had some great learnings and realizations but um, I definitely want to unpack a lot of what you said but I guess if I can just go back I guess to the story of, of how Kush was born and you know, that journey you were saying to the hospital, that one and a half hours where you got transferred to the hospital must have been excruciating. You were obviously four centimetres, I think, dilated at the time. Yeah. He was born yeah. in a sack. I mean, that in and yeah. of itself is extraordinary. And the doctors, um, sort of thinking it was a bit of a marvel, I think, when we had com had a bit of a conversation about it. I think you were saying yeah it's just so unusual. So perhaps we could speak a bit more about that. But also I guess even sort of six, seven hours on post having given birth, that Mm. real maternal instinct, despite the morphine and all the copious drugs, you just had this urge and that mother instinct had crept in so profoundly. I think even at that, that, that sort of very early stage, I think that's incredible. And I'd, I'd love to get a bit more detail about that, those, those topics, if that's okay.
1: Yeah. Um, so, firstly, uh, the journey—the journey being transferred to to Homerton, uh i think it probably took about twenty minutes, actually, because I was blue lighted there at the time in the ambulance. And luckily, Raj was able to come with me, given COVID restrictions and whatnot at the time. And it was absolutely excruciating. I was I was having major, major contractions, and every bump made things much worse. It was so painful. <laughs> looking back um but I'm just really thankful for the staff um mm. acting so quickly um even taking it right back to when we call the ambulance they came within five minutes and and like I said I just can't thank the NHS enough absolutely I've seen firsthand what what they've done and what they continue to do um even after this experience uh, being back in hospital a couple of times um Secondly, having to produce that milk six hours later uh, was a shock to the system. But like you said, maternal instinct just kicked in. And being a mum, I'm sure every mum feels exactly the same. It is the most incredible, life-changing experience. I wouldn't change it for the world I'm so it's just such an amazing experience um to be a mum and to give back to my child and provide for him and care for him I just love every minute of it but at that particular moment yes it kicked in straight away it kicked in straight away
0: Mm, absolutely I mean look everything you've said is is so important you know the message about the NHS god bless our NHS they are an incredible bunch of self you know serving us all you know whatever it might be and they are they're not praised enough or no no amount of praise I guess could ever do them justice so I I think that's a point really well made but I guess the the point around mothers you know I guess it's Mother's Day next week it's a big tribute and, and an opportunity to say thanks but I guess something that I'm just kind of going back to that question I asked you around the the sack and, and Kush being born in the sack. Yeah. Am I right to think that that's quite rare from what you've said? That's that's Extreme, extremely yes, rare. Yeah. Is that a it, complication it, it, or how does that come about? Because I think just the circumstances, if I guess your birth, um, yeah. were a little bit unusual to perhaps most, if that's again fair to say. Yeah,
1: definitely. So whilst I didn't get the typical sickness um, and I felt extremely positive and blessed to be pregnant and loved every minute of it, apart from the couple of times where I did grow up. Mm. <laughs> but other than that, um, I was fine. It was just alarming to see the bleeding at 14 weeks. Sure. Um, I did actually have a debrief uh, a few months ago. Uh, which was unfortunately a year after I gave birth, but the waiting times were quite long. I finally got a referral to discuss exactly what happened and why I went into labour so early.
0: Mm.
1: Um, So it's it's quite a a personal story, but equally I'm very, very happy to share if it's going to help any mums out there. Um, So I had something called placental abruption, whereby my placenta detached from the wall, So when the placenta came back, uh, after all the testing was done, they found a bruise behind my placenta. Um, So that was to say that there was obviously some blood loss prior to that. um, And that would explain why I bled at 14 weeks. um, Because the doctor did say to me, did you get any bleeding before this? I said, yes, I did. I got bleeding at 14 weeks even if it was a much much smaller amount than what I got 26 plus three it was still present and they said well yes it was evident that there was something wrong with the placenta early on and
0: that happens so that by itself, chance or
1: yes yeah, so it's just um it you know like they say um it's just one of those things um there's no real explanation for it it's just one of those things, mm-hmm. and it is a very, very rare thing to happen—the placental abruption. Uh, likewise, very, very rare for a baby to be born in the sac. It is slightly more common for preterm babies, um, but for a full-term baby, much, much less common. It's a really rare occurrence, but a positive thing because, of course, he was surrounded by the waters and. Getting the nutrients to him and being protected by that. Had my waters, um, uh, had my waters uh, break at that time, he wouldn't have been surrounded by all of that goodness.
0: Mm.
1: So it was just incredible that he was born in the sack and he was protected. So we feel like it's literally just our little miracle and miracle, it's been yeah. protected by God, protected by a guardian angel.
0: So your <laughs> your waters wouldn't have broken in the same way, presumably. Is that right? You'll have to forgive my ignorance on but this. But...
1: No, 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 not at all. Even, even I was, it took me a long time to get my head around it as well, um, um, being a first-time mum and, and not really sure about these things. Um, so sometimes with premature... Labor, the waters can break early. I had, I definitely had some uh, friends on the neonatal unit who said that, okay, uh, at 28 or 29 or 30 weeks, whatever the gestation was, their waters did break early. Um, and that's a more serious situation. I suppose the central eruption was also serious, but not, it wasn't as severe as it could have been. Uh, luckily enough gosh
0: such an extraordinary I think story Mm -hmm. and obviously you've all endured so so much um as far as you know the whole process and obviously there's nothing comparable to the pureness of a baby you know that baby scent which you sort of described in the kangaroo and the kangaroo pose by your by your chest and you know their dainty little fingers and
1: toes and giggles and smiles and you know it's just amazing it's just the best feeling in the world
0: Mm. and I think the nice thing about babies is they probably don't whilst they don't give you very much time to think you fall so quickly in (laughs) love with them and you realize just how much they love you back but but certainly it took a while to to get there given the story you've you've described which is nothing sort of short of horrific and I'm really inspired by the fact that you kind of want to share your message as a bit of a beacon of hope and light to other mums yeah, aspiring or going through something difficult and that's exactly sort of what the podcast is, has sort of been intended to do so thank you very very much for sharing that. No my pleasure. I guess sort of moving on to some of the other topics that I wanted to to touch on, um, obviously you sort of alluded to some of them i.e you know it's difficult sometimes we put our foot in it inadvertently very innocently um and there's sometimes a lot of pressure around you know getting married you know um having children um kind of checking off the societal pressures um but also the desires that we might feel um and I guess I wanted to explore that concept with you the concept of pressure and you know the the natural progression I guess of life um but also some of the topics that you said that impact people behind the scenes you have painful menstrual cycles mm. pcos ivf yeah um you know discussions around how you juggle work life do you both you know take it in turns to look after childcare does what does one person give the their career up is that invariably the mother i think there's quite yeah. a lot that that we um we can unpack which I kind of wanted to do next. So I guess just going back to the first bit about you know like you said you and Raj got married. You'd been together six years, um, and were married three obviously within this time. she has been born. Yeah. But but talk to us all a little bit about that. Did you ever have the pressure of aunties or or otherwise asking you about you know when when are you falling pregnant?
1: I mean. How- I guess there's this invisible timeline in everyone's heads. (laughs) um, I guess the question was always there naturally. I'm sure every married couple can relate that literally the day after you get married, the questions start, when are you going to have a baby? So we did get a little bit of that, but, but quite honestly and openly, I had the feeling quite early on, maybe, I don't know, 18 months after that, uh, the time has come that 's all I can see. I was literally driving every day and seeing pressures around me and babies and that's all I could think about um, and the feeling was there for both of us, and it just naturally happened, uh, which we are very fortunate uh, about um but but I can understand the pressures are there i 've got friends and family who you know they could be together for for ten years or five years or six years or maybe they've been together for much longer before they got married um and they've got completely different outlook on life they want to travel they want to spend some time together as a couple grow as a couple before they can be there for a child because it's it's not easy sure um it's not easy at all you you need to be mentally ready to have a child it's not only being mentally ready it's okay how's my career looking is it a good time to take this break in my career do I need to change jobs um do we need to buy a house uh these are all the kind of things that pop into a couple's heads that okay, well, what what is the next step for us it's not necessarily a baby unfortunately for for all the the ladies out there who love to to ask um that's not at the forefront unfortunately it's not at the forefront of everyone's minds fortunately for me it was naturally but I know that that's not the case for most couples out there they've got a different agenda they've got a different outlook Um, there's various um, things that they want to achieve it might be something completely opposite they might want to move abroad they might the list is endless yeah. the list is endless yeah. um on the flip side of that they might really 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 want a child they might have talked about starting a family for a number of years but then there's a complication there of infertility or or i don't know polycystic ovaries or um needing to go through the IVF route who knows uh, it's not our, in my opinion, it's not our place to to pry. Um, exactly. And I've never been that type of person to ask a married couple or any couple, what's the plans for you? When are you going to start a family? What's your outlook? On? It's none of my business. As long as they're happy, that's the main thing. Um, and I've always been a strong believer in that. That as long as people are happy. So be it. Let them them be happy. It's nice to see other people happy. It's nice to see them flourishing. If they choose to share anything personal, then that's their choice. I would never, ever pressure them to share anything with me. Um, I don't think that it's my place to ask any personal questions. Um, Having said that, I feel like if I am able to give back and share my story then maybe that might attract others to approach me and share their story. By no means do I expect that, Mm. but I hope I can help others out there with this real life experience and sort of bring to the surface these various issues um, and speak about it more openly. Um, But yeah, that, that definitely is there and it's prevalent and it's around us and it's it's happening and it needs to be spoken about that these are the kind of things that people do go through. These are the kind of things that couples struggle with. These are the kind of questions that we get from the older generation who very innocently ask. Don't get me wrong, very innocently ask. Um, but nobody is really aware of what's going on behind the scenes. Um, that, that's the bit that needs to get spoken about absolutely
0: and I think you you know you made a lot of really important points um around um you know, having your, your house in order perhaps you need a house in order to have a child first right so yeah, exactly. you know very practical things You know, where are you in your career mm-hmm. um and interestingly mm-hmm. I guess women are having children mm-hmm. later on in life and that has a consequence yeah. kind of um, on their physical health whilst they might be more settled and maybe have more financial stability. That, in turn, obviously um. presents different problems on their health front, the health of themselves, yeah. the baby. Um, arguably, taking quite a cynical view, we we could say that, obviously, obviously, the earlier you have children, the better. But um, not everyone maybe even has the maturity or the inclination to have children. You might yeah. not have found a partner. You know, there's so many there's so many um facets i think and it's so individual yeah. and unique um to everyone's particular circumstances so this certainly isn't in any way a forum for for judging people but it's certainly an opportunity i think to share genuine sort of concerns or um topics that might impact people so i guess sort of taking those ideas on board you know obviously you were previously a working mum. or sorry you were a working lady even before you were a mum. <laughs> um you know you were a career yeah. orientated lady um yeah. sort of I remember you were doing exams and you know obviously what yeah. what shifted I guess for you to sort of turn that maternal hat on and and was it a difficult decision in any way for you to um perhaps take a back seat which which is i think what you've particularly done but i appreciate that might not be the case for for everyone but i'm just curious yeah. for you to sort of share your story on that
1: i guess it just it, it just naturally happened um i became qualified back in august 2019 and it was shortly after i just i just had the feeling i just we, we just had the feeling and it just came naturally for us um that we want to start a family um and like, it was just there um i don't think in this day and age um you know the companies are very flexible very supportive uh, there's lots of options for childcare out there as well now it's not like back in the day uh, it's very different for for our parents obviously um yeah. but it's not always the case of okay there's always what I'm trying to say is there's always options out there Um if you choose to have a child um how long your maternity leave is for is you don't have to take the 12 months I mean I didn't go back until 40, about 14 months later I think but it's entirely up to the individual mm. if the individual said oh, I want to go back after three months they go back after three after six it's entirely up to them and how they feel um, me personally, I felt that okay, well, the first three months of Cush's life were in hospital. Uh, I would like to enjoy at least nine, ten months with him at Absolutely. home. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the other thing, actually, um, that is quite interesting, and I, I think it's been debated quite heavily. Is that women normally get twelve months uh, on average uh, of maternity leave? But for parents who have had a baby in the neonatal unit, you're not at home for 12 months with a baby. Yeah, that's a great, great point. For us, it's nine months, nine to ten months. And that is something that, like I said, has been heavily debated. And uh, hopefully things change for parents in the future because that time, you can't really count that time
0: no that's a really fair point actually i i hadn't thought about that Mm. but that i can see absolutely now that you've said it why that would be Mm -hmm. um debated so thank you for for sharing that yeah i guess the other thing that you know we said we'd speak about um was sort of the role and uh the important role of a father obviously a lot of focus and time gets put quite rightly obviously on the mum and the baby and often yeah. the the other party to that is the father who who probably doesn't get as much talk time um now yeah. now talk talk to me i i guess about what you found through that experience about you know the importance and um the importance of a father but also the support that they receive and is that mm. adequate or in, inadequate in your opinion
1: so What I found is, so after Krish was born, obviously a lot of people asked Raj or asked me, are you okay, baby okay? And it was a constant, how's mum, how's baby? Uh, What about dad? (laughs) You know, there's three of us now. Um, So the question should be asked, how's mum, baby and dad? Yeah. But the constant question uh is always how's mum and baby mm. and that kind of hit me I thought well hold on a second you know dad's got emotions as, as well it's not been an easy experience um and, and I guess that kind of is a the general thing where men's mental health doesn't really get discussed I know there's been a lot of topics about it and a lot of debating going on um and loads of different posts and, and various articles surrounding men's mental health. But we're all human at the end of the day. Yes, you know, women love to talk. I mean, I could talk for hours <laughs> about, about various things that I'm sure Raj knows. <laughs> but women are generally known to to talk about how they feel, but men's feelings don't often get discussed and it's very easy for them to say, yeah, everything's fine Mm. because unfortunately that's how they're perceived in society that, you know, men, men are typically, or were typically known to be the the breadwinners and the providers and the pillar of the family. Yeah. But times are changing. Men and women are, are very much equal. Um, and roles are changing, women are, are, are very much a, a big and strong part of the society. Um, and like I said, we're all we're all human, we've all got the same feelings. Uh yes, a woman's body has changed a lot after giving birth. Uh, yes, there's various hormones that are changing as well. But it's a unit at the end of the day. And that's something that shocked me. Mm. Um, so I guess my opinion on that is the question should always be asked how everybody is and not just mum and baby. Great um, that's something that needs to change. Um, and men's roles are wow. obviously very, very different compared to, to how it was back in the day or previous generation where fathers are out earning being the pillar of the family providing for the family going out to work whereas the woman is at home looking after the child breastfeeding cooking cleaning all the rest of it now roles are becoming very much equal and have been equal for quite some time where for for us, for example, Roger was doing the night phase. He still wakes up at night. He he still he still does the night shift and still goes to work the next day. God knows how. Um, but that's how it is for us. And I'm sure it's the same where the roles are very much equal now in, in all families. Mm-hmm. It's not how it was for our parents.
0: And what do you make of that? Because I think that's absolutely right that you do it is a unit it is a team endeavor um and men and women bring different skills and attributes and and I think um I think you're you're, you've said it really beautifully what do you think do you think that's the right model that we have got that equality but then also you sort of reference sort of well that's very progressive Raj does the the sort of night night shift even though he's going to work whereas perhaps you're at home and I guess, do you think that really the societal, sh- there has been a societal shift and men are a bit more hands-on or do you think that yeah. men have still got a bit of work to do um, to kind of truly be the equal to to, to sort of... Well,
1: I don't want moment. to upset anyone out
0: there. <laughs> I'm asking you, a con- I, I am asking you a controversial <laughs> question. I guess it's just, I'm probing you, I guess, to get your sense and hopefully to inspire more men to be a bit more like Raj.
1: Yes, no, no, I am blessed. I am blessed to have a husband like him. Um, but no, the, the role should be very much equal. Um, you know, we're, we're all a team. Um, whilst mothers and fathers have different roles and responsibilities, at the end of the day, it it's the teamwork that drives us forward, as with anything. Um, you know we've all got our strengths we've all got our weaknesses you know as a couple we feel okay that's your strength Um, you know I could say to Raj okay that's your strength I'm not very good at that could you do that for Kush or he would say to me yeah I'm not very good at that do you want to do that for him and I'll do something else it's very it's very much about teamwork and playing on strengths and weaknesses
0: I think that's pretty
1: and utilizing that and I think that that can be applied in a lot of situations uh especially at work it's the same sort of thing that the a team you know you, you see around you okay uh, joe blogs you you're you're good at planning things you're good at organizing uh, it is that that's the way you can work collaboratively
0: yeah I agree um
1: and, and drive things forward in any situation and the best place to start is at home uh, that's my opinion
0: oh, i think that's a great answer and well done for, for for doing it i know i asked you a bit of a hard question so well done well well answered i guess um so though uh, discussing that broad theme about men's mental health and um, um kind of I guess going back to I guess what was very traumatic for for both of you yeah. the, the birth of Kirsch and that process, was there much support? obviously, we credited the NHs but I'm just curious to know yeah. were there any resources or were there any support um was there any support in place to help either or both of you or or you know we're talking about men 's mental health, but obviously it's relevant for, for yeah. both women as well to help with 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 the kind of traumatic birth that you had?
1: Yeah. So, um, two things. Uh, one is just a general, uh, comment. Um, bliss is the UK's leading charity, uh, for premature birth. Um, we were informed about bliss, uh, quite early on, actually, when we got to the unit and we were handed leaflets, um, they i think at the time i could be wrong about this but i think they also offered some type of accommodation so if you had to visit a hospital that was quite far out you could they they could source accommodation closer to the hospital and you could stay there so there was that level of support from an external body um from the hospital themselves they've got a birth reframing sorry reframing clinic um whereby women who have had traumatic births doesn't necessarily have to be a uh, premature birth it could just be a traumatic experience sure uh, things happen at full term as well and that often gets unsaid and unspoken about um so yeah two two things so uh, one the external body bliss and two uh the reframing clinic brilliant i think i think that's really useful that they have that in place um specific to the hospitals um at homerton they had separate rooms where parents could actually stay overnight i think there was only maybe one or two uh and then at barnet when we got transferred which was unique to barnet starlight neonatal and hats off to them um just before getting discharged, um, when you're close to getting discharged, they'll inform you that, okay, you're almost ready to go home. Baby wants to feed on demand. You need to stay in the hospital now. So they've got these, they call them the ICR rooms. The, they're called, uh, so that's uh, short for individualized care rooms. So Barnet, so like your neonatal unit, have got individualized care rooms, so ICR rooms for short uh whereby you can they call it rooming in with a baby just before getting discharged so two weeks before Kush got discharged on the 16th of December I roomed in with him and I was able to feed him on demand and get used to caring for him um which was a bit of a shock to the system at first because it was two months of Getting used to the nurses looking after him, knowing exactly what to do in each situation. And there was a few times where I was of panicked and thought, "Oh, I'm not sure what's happening." He was still attached to one monitor at the time. He still had his tube through his nose, the NG tube, um, providing him with the milk. Um, so it was a, definitely a very stressful but interesting time. And amazing time to bond with Kush Mm. before we went home and I can't thank Starlight enough and I'm really grateful that we were able to actually have that hospital nearby being the closest one to us because they're the only neonatal unit in the UK that have those ICR rooms otherwise it's the case of um, literally taking your baby from wherever they are, whichever nursery they're in, put them in the car seat, in the unit and take them home and then get used to it at home. And I just can't imagine what that transition would be like because I had the privilege of rooming in with him in the hospital, getting used to his routine, feeding him on demand, bonding with him and then going home. So that was a really good stepping stone for me, um, unfortunately, partners were not allowed. They were only allowed to visit at certain times, I think it was. Um, but it was a really good way for me. So, so when I got home and when he was discharged, that okay, it's time to feed him. These are the timings. These are, these are the various medications that he needs to have at this time. Uh, and, oh, yeah, he's going to wake up now. I got so used to the things that he was doing at that specific moment in time. Um, and I got used to sleeping next to him, whereas I think Raj initially was like, oh, he's just made a funny sound, or, or what was that? Because it was a bit mm. scary for him initially. Um, but we got used to it quite quickly. Um, it was an interesting interesting experience rooming in with him. And yeah. uh, like I've said a million times on this podcast, I can't thank NHS enough. And I can't thank Starlight enough for, for what they did and during that time. It was a really incredible experience mm. and a positive
0: one. I'm glad, I'm glad. Um, I guess you mentioned feeding um, a couple of times yeah. in, in that um, in that last bit. And it would be really helpful to understand a bit more about, obviously they say mm-hmm. mother's milk is, is the best. It's liquid gold and yeah. Um, yeah. universe formula. I mean, but yeah. equally it's very painful. It can be difficult. It might not always be mm. an ample supply could you talk to us a little bit about that experience for you and perhaps what's normal, what's not to the extent that exists?
1: Yeah. So I'll go back to the point I made where Kush was initially on 0.5 mils. Yeah. Thereafter, my milk supply was amazing. I was very, very, very fortunate to have a really, really good milk supply. Um, And, in the neonatal unit, they provide bottles, sterilized bottles, um, and express milk needs to go into them only. And I remember we used to bring in gallons gallons of milk. And I, we felt helpless at the time. But when I was bringing in those bottles to him, I felt amazing. I thought, at least I'm doing something for him. This is the only thing that I can possibly do for him, and I've got all of this milk. Um, but then I kind of felt a little bit guilty because I was surrounded by a lot of mums who were not getting a good supply and were really struggling. And I can imagine it's a stress of it, it's a pressure of it, um, there's various other things going on in the body, um, not eating right, um, not like that was intentional, but just everything that comes into it I guess that would affect milk supply as well and um I had some ladies who came up to me how are you doing this how how are you getting so much supply What what are you eating and I guess for the mums out there um I was eating all of the typical Indian foods that you should eat or are told to eat um after giving birth so um lots of spinach, aubergines, um, wheat, uh, oats, um, brewer's yeast, they say, um, I was having lactation cookies as well. Literally everything, everything under the sun, (laughs) all of the lactogenic foods. Um, there's a good list out there as well. Um, big one is fenugreek as well. Um, and just generally being really hydrated. Um, two to three litres of water a day. Um, but I guess the the most important point that I want to make, um, and this is in general, is the mind is a very powerful tool. What you think becomes true. The more you stress, the more stress comes to you. The, the more positive thoughts that you can put out there, the more positive thoughts come back. Um, so throughout the experience, which I touched on as well, we were very positive. We were very forward-looking. Um, initially, I was feeling guilty, but um, I overcame that quite quickly because the doctors were so reassuring. Um, and I think it's that positive mindset as well that plays a part in everything that we do. Um, and I did feel a little bit guilty, and I thought, gosh, these poor mums, all they want to do is provide milk, and, and I'm able to do that. Maybe I can give a couple of bottles to them. <laughs> but I didn't realise it was the case of, no, no, they, these bottles need to be pasteurised, they need to be sent up to the centre, I can't just hand over a bottle to another mum, as much as I really wanted to help them. Because I did feel guilty that I had such a, a massive supply to the point where we had to buy a freezer to store the extra milk um, but yeah just the, the the points to take away from that is um, look up on lactogenic foods um, and make sure you're having those but most importantly just stay positive just stay positive and, and think positively and don't take any stress and I'm saying that very easily and it's taken a lot of work to get there but just put your mind to it and just sort of think about all the positives
0: wonderful points no thank you that's really really um inspirational and um wise and I think when you was talking about sort of staying positive I was also thinking actually through that breastfeeding process like you said you had gallons but lots of mums sadly don't have that but actually like you know not wholly dissimilar to say cows actually when they're nurtured and lovingly yeah um, exactly lovingly giving their milk that's a very different exchange Mm. energetically than if we're consuming that whereas obviously the milk industry is quite brutal and actually they're such dry hormones etc Um, Mm. and they're quite distressed and actually energetically what that can can do kind of on a on a subtle mental level so I think your point around um just being happy and having yeah. uh, a positive mindset is a point really well made not just in relation yeah. to the process of of giving milk but actually a message of life you know through challenges yeah. Um, and ups and downs so thank you for for sharing I guess before we move on to our final topic about kind of navigating having a baby in the pandemic just that very point about staying positive if there was sort of one big Mm. learning that you have had over the experience um, or one real nugget of wisdom that you could share with mums that might resonate with what you've said thus far what would it be I
1: think just take each day as it comes And this is a phrase that was said to us many, 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 many times in the neonatal unit. And every consultant, every nurse would say to us, especially in the early days, take each day as it comes. But that completely, it it should resonate with everybody in every situation. It literally just take each day as it comes. Nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Nobody should worry about yesterday. Literally just live in the moment and I'm saying this and it's just rolling off my tongue but I've I've done a lot of work to to get to this place and to literally just live in the moment being in the present moment is so important um so that phrase that was said to us in the very early days of being in the neonatal unit will always resonate with me Mm. it'll always stay with me for life That. Yeah, just take each day as it comes. Don't worry about yesterday, don't worry about tomorrow. Who knows what's gonna to happen tomorrow? Um and I guess that's quite prevalent with the pandemic and everything. We've seen so many loved ones pass away <clears throat> and you just don't know what tomorrow holds, so mm. why worry? Focus on the present, be there for for everyone around you, be there for your loved ones and just enjoy, it. literally just enjoy. It.
0: Absolutely, and I guess as uh, as Ralph Waldo Emerson says, no one can bring you peace but yourself. So it's it's exactly. an inner job. Um, it
1: starts with yourself, and absolutely. and uh the I guess the other thing that that I want to really briefly touch on um is for mum that look after yourself before before you can give yourself to others. That that's a big one. So you know, even if it's just a shower or or something really calming for you, whatever it is um, that you find calming, relaxing, um, going for a walk before the kids wake up. And I, I'm saying this very easily, but you can still do it throughout the day, you know, that quick 20 minute workout, whatever it is to get the endorphins going or, or sitting and having a, a cup of or just allowing some time for yourself. So letting people around you take that responsibility as well, sharing the responsibilities, uh, asking for a helping hand, um, but most importantly, looking after yourself. Mm. Um, And I guess I I could take it back to um, when you're on a plane and they say to you, Put on your oxygen mask first. Absolutely. Before putting on anyone else's. Including and that's your the child, same with love. Yeah, that's absolutely. the same with motherhood. That mm. make sure you're okay first. Only then you can give your hundred percent to others. That that is very important for me that I found as well throughout it's, this experience it's a very wise point
0: probably harder for the mums though isn't it that bit harder it's hard
1: um, no, I'm saying it really easy it's hard don't get me wrong but if you can just find that even if it's five ten minutes it does make that difference to the day yeah um if that you know that quick cup of coffee before they wake up or a 20 minute workout or quick walk Sitting in the garden for five minutes, reading something, something that you could do for yourself mm. before you serve others. Beautiful. Because, like you said, it starts with you. Absolutely. Wow. I guess
0: touching our final topic that we said we'd speak about, uh, you know, having having sort of you shared your story really candidly, for which we're really grateful. Um, I guess I'm curious to know if you think maybe. Whilst you you probably won't ever know the experience was quite different, obviously over the pandemic versus having a baby in normal circumstances. And I just was keen to get your insight. You know, as I mentioned at the outset, I've had a few friends who've had Mm. babies, and they've certainly described it as a really difficult time. You know, not being safe to sort of feel like you could go for a walk, or you know, being separate from your partner, and you know, having to give birth and and the hospital, and you know um doing classes virtually and the list is endless of what they've described but it would be um really helpful for i guess the listeners to understand how that experience was for you what was the positive the the less positive the real raw account of someone who kind of went through it firsthand
1: so i guess i'll start with the antenatal appointments um I remember just sitting there and there's all these mums and we're all alone and at different stages in our pregnancies Um, and not having our partner with us. I think that was the hardest for me. Um, The signal wasn't great in the hospital. So I was literally just texting Raj and he was waiting in the car. That Yeah, I'm just about to go in. Um, And then once I did get in, I did push the nurses and just say is there any way that you can come in and just it was just incredible to see the baby on monitor moving around and and doing whatever it was doing inside swimming whatever it was doing but um it was just amazing to see that I, I was just lost for words and it would just it would have been amazing for him to be next to me and for him to witness that as well and it, it was it was quite harsh in a sense I thought well we're both in this journey together um surely there's a way around it and I completely understand various restrictions and uh, obviously under the circumstances uh, COVID and and whatnot but it would have been amazing if if they could just witness that um the one thing that we were allowed to do um was record a 10 second clip just a 10 second clip um, I don't know how it is in, in other hospitals but this how it how it was for me a barnet um, recording a 10 second clip baby moving on my phone that was the only thing that I was allowed to do and I said can I not video call him they said honestly I tried everything but <laughs> it's probably so annoying um, and they said no I'm really sorry no video calls either you could literally just take a video on your phone off the clip and that's that, mm. and a couple of pictures uh, from the scan, and that was it. So that was the first thing that I kind of struggled with. And secondly, I mean, this is, this is uh, relevant to uh, sort of prem babies, that uh, they are susceptible to infections um, a lot more than full-term babies would be. Um, so that was something that I was really anxious about when we first bought Chris home. And, and what we got used to in the hospitals, in, in the neonatal units, we were um, constantly gelling our hands, you know, touching the doors and, uh, and then once we we're inside the unit, before we could even touch Kush, we said, okay, wash your hands up to your elbows and then gel your hands and then you can touch the baby. And we were doing that every day for three months. So when we first came home, we thought, oh, you can't touch him without gelling our hands because we just got used to that. Sure. And it was all part of the sort of risk of passing an infection on or um, COVID and whatnot. Especially as and his immunity
0: been... was lower in any event. So I suspect that probably made yeah. you even more hyper sensitive to yeah. that. Yeah.
1: It did. I was really, really, really anxious to begin with. And it, it's obviously decreased over time. And as he's got bigger and stronger, but initially that anxiety was, there, I thought, oh my gosh, in the hospital, at least nurses are, you know, they're, they're being as clean as they can be. They're wearing gloves, they're gelling their hands. But but how are we going to do it at home? Um, how are we going to make sure everything's sanitised? Because that that's what I got used to. I got used to nurses wiping surfaces down oh my God, I'm going to have to do this at home. I'm so scared. And I was really worried about it. Um, Really, really worried about it initially. Um, But like I said, as he's got bigger, the anxiety is is reduced and don't really worry about it anymore. But it was difficult Um, during a pandemic, a very difficult time for everyone, I suppose. And and it, it led to, people being very anxious and maybe people are still a little bit anxious as well. Um but equally having a baby in pandemic, I mean not being able to go to any classes, um everything over Zoom, not getting that same connection. Um we had follow up calls from the Neonator unit over Zoom, which was lovely and really, really grateful for those phone calls. Um but equally it would have been nice in person. They would have been in person had it not been for COVID. Um, And I think, yeah, generally it was just a a very unique and trying time for everybody, trying to navigate around that. And even just taking in for a walk, that anxiety um, that I had or not wanting to take him out to any places or any restaurants and mm. shielding ourselves as well we we shielded quite a lot um when the pandemic set its peak um we were shielding and, and obviously being parents would do anything we can to protect our child um so it's, it, it was never an issue but there's various things that we had to do to protect him and obviously we'll continue to protect him but equally Throughout this time, it has been quite difficult, if I'm honest. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for our mental health as well, it'd have been lovely to actually meet people face to face and share their experience. And I don't think people got to actually meet Kush until maybe when he was about six, seven months. That's when we finally had uh, had people around. Which to is meet very
0: him. unique in and of itself, isn't it? Yeah, I guess. Normally,
1: um, it, 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 in normal circumstances that it been a full-term baby or, or um, pre-pandemic, pre-pand- yeah. we'd have people around straight away Within and, and weeks, yeah. lots of, surrounded by lots of family and well wishes. Um, this was a very, very different experience.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think it's probably if place to sort of almost end the podcast it's been a unique and different experience I think from start to finish I think uh really over the course of your whole pregnancy which obviously yeah. started in COVID but the whole experience you've had so I guess you haven't really got another reference point you know he was your firstborn, and and obviously yeah. had such an impact in terms of I guess how you'll forever see pregnancy and I guess the the story that you share is, is, is quite something. So I guess just as yeah. a final, final note, is there anything that you would share or any resources that you could um, mention? And of course, we'll link them um, at the podcast for anyone that might find this a useful um, subject to understand a bit more on or, or need some support on.
1: Yeah, so fortunately, I had the opportunity of uh, being interviewed by Gulf News Um, so I joined a Facebook group, uh, called Small and Mighty Babies, um, which a friend suggested to me, and it was an absolutely amazing place to get that support. That was the other thing that I didn't mention There was also Facebook groups available. Um, so there's that article that I'm very happy for you to link onto the podcast, but equally, if anybody wants to reach out to me at any point in time, I'm available, I'm available to talk. Thank you,
0: Gopika. That's really, really kind. And, you know, uh, just to reiterate, you've been so real and raw in your account. I appreciate it's not the easiest subject. And I guess recalling the facts is is certainly not easy, um, given the trauma associated. But, you know, I know you've been a real beacon of wanting to share this knowledge and experience so as to help people. Um so thank you very, very much uh for taking us through that and um you know sharing with us the the rawness that 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 can sometimes um be the cases as you've described so i'm gonna leave it there uh, but you know, I just wanted to reiterate our thanks and say, I really hope that Kush continues to now get stronger and stronger and that he'll um, grow into a a happy young man sort of knowing the the story and, and backdrop but I just want to end on a quote as I normally do to say I love these little people and it is not a slight thing when they who are so fresh from God love us it is the nature of babies to be in bliss A new baby is like the beginning of all things wonder, hope, a dream of possibilities. A baby is God's opinion that the world should go on. So I hope everyone that's been listening, you found that to be helpful. Um, And until next time, we'll speak to you real soon. But God bless. Thank you.